I'm going to make this brief, and so if you can listen quickly, I'll read in chapter 13 of Hebrews. And this, this uh, sermon's really got to be two parts, because not just because it, I don't have that much time tonight, but because it just needs two parts to finish it. And so uh, you, you follow with me as I read beginning verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? The late Peter Sellers once said, Behind the mask of all us clowns is sadness and a broken heart. When I read that quote, I, I thought of the proverb that says, Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. For many of us, there are masks of laughter and hearts that are broken. What makes the clowns cry? Billy Graham uh, thinks he knows. He says that a reason why there is so much despair, even among those who have masks of laughter, is because we have set our course, our lifestyle, on a destructive course that is headed for moral disaster and decay. The human race, some say, is, toward, is heading toward its climax. I believe that we have adopted a lifestyle that emphasizes comedy masks and party animals and leaves behind broken hearts and dreams and clowns that cry. It's not difficult to size up the scene. A, prophet, a person doesn't have to be a prophet of doom to size up the scene. Anyone can do it. These are difficult days that we live in anywhere. But the greatest concern I have tonight, I think, is the concern that, that deals with the decay, the decline, and the disintegration of the home. Because the home is the basic foundation on which any society is established, and the society is never stronger than its home. Where there is the weakness in the home, there is a weakness in society. There is a growing assault against the home. We agree with Lyle Schaller, I think. There is now an impressive, evident, impressive array of evidence that can be presented to support the contention, said he, that the home is being subjected to unprecedented changes that will drastically alter its form and function in the future. There are many people who are predicting and prophesying the demise of the American home. It's different than some of us have known it to be. Some of us can remember when the home was the anvil on which a character was forged and convictions were formed, when the home altered moods and morals and corrected paths. Some of you can remember when fathers, when mom and dad set things straight and made things clear. Things are not the same today. For what is true in society is true in the home. 
The society reflects what is happening in the home. And I believe that there are two dangers that threaten the home. I believe they are marital infidelity and materialistic idolatry. I want to speak to those two in general terms. First of all, marital infidelity. Someone said he saw a sign in a jewelry store on the West Coast, a sign that 20 years ago would be shocking. The sign read, We rent wedding rings. <laughs> we rent for wedding rings. Did you know that the new uh, vows that are coming out now to be performed in weddings, I've seen them in books, the new vow is not, as long as we both shall live, the new vow is, as long as we both shall love. I love you today, but I don't know about tomorrow. I love you now, but I can't promise about tomorrow. We'll see. And the books that are coming out not only talk about sexual escapades and infidelity, but promote it and tell us to laugh about it so that it is no longer scandalous to be unfaithful, it's enough to make the clowns cry. The second power or force that affects, I believe, the home is, is materialistic idolatry. And I, I want to save that for part two. Now the significance of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 4 through 6, as it deals with the demise of the home or the family, as it deals with marital infidelity. There are two commands in this text, and they should be followed by an exclamation point. Now listen to me, kids. They should be followed by an exclamation point. They're imperatives and they're not optional. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and secondly, let the marriage bed be undefiled, exclamation point, imperative. And these two commands are followed by a fierce warning because God will judge you. Marital commitment. Let the marriage be held in honor. The word means, the Amplified Bible has it, to be esteemed worthy, to be precious, that is of great price, especially dear. It means to hold marriage in dignity. Hold it up in honor. Marital commitment, holding it in honor. And it should be held in honor, he says, by all. That means if you're not married and never intend to be, that you hold up and esteem marriage as precious and above price. When I was out in Arizona, I... My wife and I were driving down the freeway and this pickup truck passed us and it had a bumper sticker on there. It was driven by a woman, obviously a feminist. <laughs> and she had on the bumper sticker, not all women are stupid. Some have never married. It's obvious that she didn't, she'd never read Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. It means to hold it in honor. In, and to hold it up in dignity, to esteem marriage, whether you're married or not, and recognize that marriage is to be held in honor. And then he said, 
Let the marriage, be, marriage bed be undefiled. It means to be free from contamination. To, to soil means to be defiled. To infect by contact. Now listen to me carefully. He's talking about the sanctity of sex. He's talking about the, the sanctity of human sexuality, whether you are married or not. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. He is saying that in marriage and in outside of marriage, whether you've married or not married, you're to maintain purity. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let sex, human sexuality, be recognized as sacred. Now there are two reasons why I think that, I mean common sense would, would demand that. I want to read those two. The first is found in the book of 1 Corinthians and it's chapter 6 verse 16. Now you don't have to turn, if, if you don't want to, just listen to the words. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now listen to this, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. I, 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 I need you to observe a remarkable play on words in this text, in this verse. The amazing thing is that he says that every other sin except sexual immorality is a sin outside the body. But the contrast when he talks about sexual sin, he doesn't use the word inside. That's the contrast, outside and inside. But rather he said the sin of sexual immorality is, not, is a sin against the body, outside and against. And what he wants us to know, listen to me, what he wants us to know is this, that when a man commits or a young person or a woman commits a sin, sexual sin, it affects him in a way that no other sin affects him. Something happens to a person who is guilty of sexual sin that does not happen to him with any other sin. That ought to make a, anybody's ears pick up. But there's another. It's the second chapter of the book of Proverbs. This is just God's Word I'm reading. Doesn't really matter perhaps, but it, you know, it is God's Word. And in, in Proverbs chapter 2, he's talking about being delivered from sexual sin or one who is joining himself to a, to a person that is, leaves her husband. Now watch this and forgets the covenant of her God. That is to say that when you marry, you make a covenant not with another person, you make a covenant with God. 
I say that in my marriage ceremonies a lot of times is that when you make a pledge in marriage, you're not just making a pledge to another person, you're making a pledge to God that you're going to treat this other person as no other person in your life. He said, he leaves the marriage covenant for her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. Now watch, listen to this. Here it is. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. Now let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying when you're guilty of sexual sin, you are never the same again. You never get back to where you were. Something happens to you that destroys the path of life and you never come back to where you were. That doesn't mean that you won't be forgiven. It doesn't mean that you can't recover and return to life. It just means that if you're guilty, that you can make one decision, one choice, one choice, one decision that is so bad and so wrong that when you make that wrong choice and that wrong decision, you never get back to where you were. So I'm going to tell you that if you're married and, you, and that happens to you, it'll never be the same for you again. And if you're pure and you have, and you have virginity and you have not committed fornication and you have purity, Hold on to that purity because if you sacrifice it, it'll never be the same for you anymore. That's a terrible and drastic thing to say, but it's true. There's an alienation that takes place. There is a destruction that takes place. There is a devastation that takes place. So what he's talking about is fidelity, purity and fidelity. In Foster's book, Money, sex, and power. He has a marvelous definition or definitions of what fidelity means. I just want to give them to you. Number one, he says fidelity means loyalty to our calling. Some people are called to singleness in life. They are. If you're called to singleness, be faithful to that calling and don't cast here and cast there to find some other way. If you're called to marriage, those who are called to marriage should welcome that calling and do not begrudge the time and the energy needed to fulfill it. If God calls you to marriage, never complain and gripe and bellyache about what it's costing you to be married. What a shame. Fidelity, secondly, means directing physical sex into its God-given channel in the covenant of love and marriage. And that's why he says, we say no to promiscuity before marriage. And he's talking about before you get married. You say, no, I'm not going to give myself to sexual license and promiscuity. I'm going to say no to that. And I say no to adultery after marriage. And we scorn the modern myth that sexual prowess is validated by sexual conquest. Did you see Ricardo Montalban on the Tonight Show? And they had this Latin, this, you know, wonderful Corinthian letter. You've heard that advertised, the guy on, uh, oh, 
Ricardo Montavant was being interviewed by Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson asked him this question. He said, you Latins make great lovers. You, you, you hot-blooded Latins are great lovers. You just have a reputation for that. What do you think is the, what is a great lover? What is a lover? And this is what Monica, uh, Ricardo Montalban said. Listen to this carefully. His answer was this. A great lover is a person who commits himself to one woman for life long. And then he said this. He said, it doesn't mean that you can have all these lovers. Any dog does that. And Johnny Carson had little to say after that. Now I'm running a lawn over there at my house and I've got some St. Augustine out in the front and I'm encouraging. It's beautiful and luscious and I've got a gorgeous uh, turf of St. Augustine growing. It's just great right out there on my lawn. Inside the front door of my house I have this beautiful uh, luxurious white carpet. It's just great right there. But if I go out there and take a scoop full of that St. Augustine turf and I walk into the front room and I give it a fling over my white carpet, that gorgeous, marvelous turf of St. Augustine is dirty and out of place and wrong there. Now sex is beautiful and, and it's a wonderful gift of God when that gift is within the framework that God intended it. Outside of marriage it is dirty and ugly and out of place and wrong. Fidelity means third, an enduring commitment to the well-being and growth of each other. We commit ourselves to wholeness and happiness to, the, to our partner's wholeness and happiness. We desire that every gift and every talent and every ability be given the, ability, the, the opportunity to blossom and to flower. Fourth, fidelity means mutuality. It means the refusal to lord it over one another. Five, fidelity means honesty and transparency with, with each other. We take off our masks and we're honest with one another. And finally, fidelity means to explore the interior world, the spiritual life together. And so what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying is it makes the clowns cry when they look at the infidelity and the lack of commitment both prior to and after marriage to the sanctity of human sexuality. Now this is the warning. He says if you don't, God will judge you. He will judge you. Now when you hear that word, you think of fire and brimstone and you know God and great judgment. It's not what that means at all. Now listen to what it means. It means even something more drastic than that. It means before you die, if you're guilty of this, the judgment is upon you is spiritual judgment dies Spiritual judgment dies when you're guilty of this sin. Spiritual judgment dies and mistake after mistake after mistake follows. Guilt comes. Devastating guilt. Lack of peace. 
lack of the presence of God and boredom. And these are all the judgments of God. Now what does it take to fulfill the command, let the marriage bed be undefiled? It takes commitment. That's all it is. Such an easy answer. It takes commitment. It takes a commitment to give dignity and honor to marriage. It takes a commitment to stay pure. It's tough and it's unpopular. And you'll not be popular if you make the commitment in many places. Because the stream that's flowing, you'll have to go against. It takes commitment to say no. It it takes commitment to say yes. It takes a commitment to God, to ourselves, and to the person we think we love. Commitment. Someone said, the Christian concept of fidelity is based on the model offered to us by the marriage between God and His people. If we use this model offered, we will avoid the sterile, passive corrective of fidelity. That is the mere absence of adultery. And we will have a picture of someone who makes a solemn vow to enduring partnership and whose fidelity is married in terms of creative love for his partner. I love it. Fidelity means that here is somebody who has made an enduring commitment to to fidelity and creative love for his partner or her partner. And the command is a command we must obey if we survive in this world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the encouragement and the hope that has been brought by young people who are pure, good, wholesome, and right. And I thank you for a commitment that I've sensed in these young men and women for years. Some of them I've known a long time, some not so long, but in my spirit knowing that they are what they say they are. And I thank you for the young people that sit behind them on rows two and three and four and five, struggling in life to be, to find identity, to discover what's for them in life. And I've heard them, and I've seen them, and I've shared with them, and I know that they are working, striving, struggling to find their place in this world, the place where you have for them. And I understand and I know the difficulty and the, the, the assault, the dangers, that, the problems that come and the assault that comes. And I just lift them up and pray that you'll keep them pure and holy, right. And I look out over the congregation of people, married people, some for years, and I thank you that they're faithful to one another, that they love each other. And I pray that we'll model that kind of love and that kind of commitment that keeps the marriage in honor, dignity, 
purity. That we'll work for one another and with one another and seek to fulfill the needs of our partner. Give opportunity for growth so that the home, Father, can be strengthened and even saved, that the nation can recover from its ill. And help us as the church to stand for what is right. Proclaim it, live it. Because I pray in Jesus' name, I ask it for His sake. You've heard the testimony of people finding the Lord. I ask you tonight, have you know, do you know the Lord? Have you found the Lord? Would you like to come as children came in a far off island to say, I want to, I'm, I've been afraid of what my friends would say, but I'm no longer afraid. Please, Jesus, come into my heart. And those kinds of thrilling things, would you like to make the same prayer, make the same commitment? Or maybe there are those of us who just need to come and, and say, I need to make a deeper commitment of my life to Jesus Christ. It's not an admission, of course, that you've been unfaithful to anyone. It's just a proclamation of a commitment of your life deep, more deeply to, to Christ and His will for you. Or maybe you need to join the church, as some have done already today. These are the moments of invitation that God has brought us to for this night. So I ask you to come while we stand to sing.